0: Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from
1: Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. My guest today is Darone Krakow, who is the president and CEO of the JCC Association of North America. This organization has a long history, and Daron is now in the unique position to bring this organization into the next 100 years. Maybe not 100, maybe in the next few years, if you will. He has worked for more than two decades in national and international Jewish organizations focusing on fundraising, youth, and Israel engagement. I've asked him on the program today because in addition to supporting JCCs around North America, this organization provides a variety of programs supporting Jewish journeys for all ages. I'm looking forward to hearing more about the work of the JCCA and Jerome's approach to leadership. Welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much. Very happy to be here.
1: Great. So we'll start, as we always do, in your own words, a little more elaboration on all these years of experience that you have and what brought you into this position.
0: Terrific. Thank you. Well, first of all, you know, I often describe myself as a refugee from the private sector. My academic background is in economics and finance, and I was working in mainframe systems planning for IBM when I was invited by Hadassah at the time, which sponsored my youth movement, Young Judea, to step in as an interim national director to get them through a tough patch, a transition issue they were trying to deal with. So I agreed and got my company to agree to give me a year's leave of absence to go to work for them. The year became two, mm. two became five, and suddenly I realized I had made a career change. <laughs> so the 25 years that I've spent in the not-for-profit, I was 10 years the national director of Young Judea, five years the senior vice president for Israel and overseas for the Continental Federation System, what was then called United Jewish Communities, now JFNA, 10 years as the head of the American Associates of Ben-Gurion University, and that's where I was when I was invited to be part of the search process for JCC Association.
1: What was that transition like? You said this kind of you accidentally <laughs> had this career change. What was that like for you? What do you think was pulling you towards that work?
0: You no, know, it's an interesting thing. I'm a product of Young Judea and of youth movements and a strong family commitment to Jewish community. So I had spent some time as a summer camp staff person. I had spent some time as a youth group advisor when I was in my undergraduate years. And though I was enjoying the work at IBM. That was a company that employed about 300,000 people at the time. So even as a aspiring star in the finance area, I was a small cog in a giant machine. The chance to do some good for a year and this idea of giving back to the Jewish world appealed to me. And once I got into the work, I found that I actually could be a difference maker. It was a much smaller operation, but in many ways, a more meaningful one. And so the allure of being able to make a real contribution to something that mattered as opposed to pursuing the course of becoming a successful corporate executive, which is what I thought I had wanted to do, began to take the balance. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> in a, in certain, a term, <laughs>
0: Exactly. Well, I guess when I think about the blue suits and the white shirts of right. the IBM culture, the culture today is a little bit different where I'm working, but I was drawn into it from a level of satisfaction and a feeling of having an impact and I decided I wanted nothing more than to try to be really good at what I was doing in this field instead. So if
1: you can think about a little bit when you kind of first started in that position and found yourself there for, you know, the two the five years, what were some skills or things that you had or thought were the way that things were when you first started in this kind of work versus kind of how you approach your work now that you've done it for so long in these types of positions?
0: Well, one thing is for sure. I was a very young, very green senior professional in an organization that employed at the time more than 100 people and was responsible for offices across the country and six resident summer camps and an institution in Israel where we were sending kids on short and long-term programs. And certainly in those days, I did a lot by instinct and what I hope would be thoughtful and informed judgment, but I was in my 20s, so exactly how much informed judgment did I have (laughs) to draw upon? I was in a position where Hadassah was gracious with me and afforded me the chance to learn on the job. I got some guidance from the people there, but running Hadassah and running a Zionist youth movement were two very different things. I worked very hard to identify people in the field who I came to see as mentors and colleagues from other organizations. I think whose wisdom and insight I came to draw upon a lot. And that's a tradition for me in my work that I continue to do with every step that I've made to look for the people in the area that I'm working who've been doing it the longest and doing it the best and ask them to teach me what they know and to help me to evolve my skills to be better at what I'm doing. 25 years later, I'm drawing on a lot of experience having been this is now the third position I've been in as the senior executive. And my five years at United Jewish Communities, I was in the inner management team, the senior management team, but reporting to a CEO, which was a welcome change because in those years, I had somebody responsible for making me a better professional. And in these other years, it's largely been my own responsibility. But I think looking back, Michelle, had Hadassah not given me that chance when I was in my late 20s to be a senior executive when I probably wasn't ripe enough to have that kind of a job, I certainly wouldn't have evolved the skills and experience that I think make me far more effective today.
1: So speaking of today, let's go a little bit into the work of the organization that you lead and then your role specifically as you see it in that work.
0: So first of all, the JCC Association has been in business for more than 100 years. We just concluded the celebration of our centennial at our major biennial conference, which was in Memphis actually last month. The association is the umbrella organization for the JCC movement. The movement is comprised of more than 160 JCCs and another couple of dozen independent agencies, most of which are major Jewish resident summer camping programs like New Jersey Y, Camp Tawanga, JCA Shalom in California, Tamarack, major camping systems that draw their audience largely from JCCs but are not themselves under a corporate umbrella of any JCC. And the role that we're committed to playing is to enable each of these institutions and all of them together to be the best and most successful possible version of themselves. And we do that by providing research and development investment in the field. We do it by providing professional training and development opportunities. We do it by providing a host of consultation services. But I think in the main, we are looking to be the broad perspective on the evolving work that's going on in the JCC field. Uh, And I'll tell you that the thing that drew me to the job was the knowledge that these not quite 200 institutions see more than 1.5 million people through their doors each and every week, making us the largest platform for engagement in a Jewish context in North America. And of that 1.5, more than a million of them are Jews. And that million Jews is the broadest and widest cross-section of Jewish life imaginable, Mm -hmm. from infancy to old age. From ultra orthodox to completely secular, from very left to very right, and in an age of identity politics where lots of people define themselves by a letter or some sort of identification, they are all passing through our doors every single week, which means we have the opportunity to impact the widest and deepest cross section of the North American Jewish community on an ongoing basis. And what a wonderful responsibility and wonderful opportunity that is for us. And if that were insufficient, there are a half million or so friends and neighbors of ours from beyond the Jewish community who make a premeditated decision every week to come to a Jewish place for whatever program, activity, or initiative they're coming to us for, meaning that at grassroots level, there is no Jewish institutional framework that has greater responsibility for community relations than the JCC movement. Right. So in many respects, In an era of declining affiliation in a lot of the traditional institutions of Jewish life, we have primary responsibility for this sustained engagement and the opportunity, therefore, to chart the course for the future of North American Jewish life. It was that opportunity that drew me from a very happy and content and productive professional situation to come to an organization that has had some transition in recent years and that is certainly in an evolutionary mode, but which provides the opportunity perhaps to be the singular difference-making institution in the field.
1: I do want to hear about your particular role, but I have so many questions about this organization. And as you may or may not know, something that we've kind of explored is we've had guests that are in your similar position with you know organizations that have been around for a hundred plus years. And we've had guests that you know have organizations that have been around for 10 years. And we've explored the, the similarities and the challenges and the challenges of legacy organizations, not competing, but looking at these newer successful models and trying to make that change and that transition. So I'm curious, just kind of, you talked a little bit about the change that's happening or the change that you, you've been in this position for a year and a half now?
0: About 13 months.
1: About 13 months. So just a little over a year. So is membership in JCCs growing, declining? Are they closing? Are they opening? Where kind of is this organization in their life
0: cycle? So first of all, JCCs in general, I think, are doing quite well. And overall membership in JCCs is up in the last generation from what it was before. I think in part, that's a function of the fact that JCCs are institutions with low barriers to entry with limited expectations on the part of the people that come through. You know, if we view our JCCs as kind of a town square of Jewish life in the communities in which they operate. People come to the square for the aspect or element that appeals to them. And there's no heavy expectation that if they come, they need to be doing more or we have some prescriptive function or engagement that we want them to deal with. So relative to other institutions that are either in the general or probably non-orthodox space, all of which seem to have suffered from a significant fall off in engagement. We know how hard it's been for conservative and reform synagogues to sustain membership. And we know that federations, while they may still be raising the same kind of money they've raised in the past, are doing so from fewer and fewer donors. So the constituent engagement engines of Jewish life have suffered from the societal changes that we're dealing with. But the nature of the JCC has enabled it to avoid Some of those kinds of declines, which I think again creates a terrific opportunity for it. But we need not to be the same Jewish community center movement that we were 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. Because we're this remarkable platform, this town square, then we need to evolve with the changes that are going on in our community. And ironically, if a growing number of members of our community are not choosing to connect with elements that they used to get in other institutional frameworks, there's the possibility that we can play a bigger part in doing things that probably traditionally were not part of JCC responsibilities or JCC vision. You know, I think if you look at the JCC business model, almost every one of our community centers would say that their business is driven by three major components. Early childhood education, day camping, and fitness or health and wellness the category that includes the health club and the workout facilities. Those are the major revenue drivers. And on the back of the revenue that comes in from them, they can fund all kinds of other cultural, social, athletic, et cetera, kinds of programs. But the model, the basic business model in most JCCs hasn't changed in some time. And so while we can carry forward with a sustainable model like the one we have, if we're smart, We're going to be innovative and we're going to be a platform on which a huge amount of research and development work is undertaken so that we can anticipate what the major components need to be 10 and 20 and 30 years from now. And the association's primary responsibility in that regard is going to be to bring resources and investment from the funding world to this platform so that we can try and assess a growing array of opportunities, not all of which are going to work, in order to come up with those that have the potential to be there for the long term. And we're working right now on, there's several with outside funders that we hope are going to begin to unfold on the platform shortly. But we're also looking closely at some of these innovative younger organizations, to which I think you were referring, to see whether or not we can enable them to capitalize on our platform to become better and stronger versions of themselves. So it's early for us, of course, but things like Moisha House, JewBelong.com, which is an outreach initiative spearheaded by Archie Gottesman, who's a new member of the board of JCC Association, and several others that are obviously doing emerging work for which the platform should be a great opportunity and a great potential resource, and trying to matchmake between those things. They may not all work everywhere, but we can provide our field with the opportunity to selectively utilize and access these opportunities and help to resource them as they attempt to make them constructive components of what's happening in their particular Jewish town square.
1: Yeah, I've always been jealous of this social entrepreneurship type model. I interned for a year in graduate school with the National Council of Jewish Women in Los Angeles, and they had eight thrift stores that brought in, you know, $8 million a year, and they maybe fundraise (laughs) $30,000. And we're able to do all of this work in the community and for not only, you know, Jewish women, but they did counseling service. I mean, just all this wonderful stuff, because they weren't necessarily spending all these time on fundraisers and galas and things like that, because they had this model in which the revenue was coming from elsewhere. And so the fact that, and I don't know if this was ever the original plan of JCCs, or just kind of how it evolved that you have this gym membership, model where that is then being reinvested and resupplied to be able to do the community stuff without having to focus so much on getting those dollars in, in other ways, which seems to be the near focus to get those dollars in to support everybody all together, which is wonderful. But every time I work for an organization, I'm like, so what can we sell (laughs) that people want that will make us $8 million a year and that I don't have to do my fundraising (laughs) job?
0: (laughs) Well, the truth of the matter is I was always the professional who said, I'm never going to be a fundraiser mm. because I had, an, <laughs> I had an image of fundraising that had to do with a slick pitch and a handout right. and trying to convince people to do something that they don't want to do. And that was never what I was interested in doing. I was interested in helping to build and strengthen programs that deliver on Jewish identity, that strengthen ties between American Jewry and Israel whether it was summer camping or Israel programs or partnership initiatives. And then at a point where I was feeling that my work at the United Jewish Communities was not having as much impact as I thought it was capable of having because of what I would describe as the limitations of the organization's structure itself, I decided I wanted to find a role where I could bear primary responsibility for doing something that would make measurable good. And I took a leap to go to work for the Ben-Gurion University friends here in the United States to run it. It was certainly in my comfort zone relative to Negev development and the remarkable work of the university and its scientific research. But let's face it, the measurement of success in an organization like that is how much money you raise. And that meant diving into fundraising, having never really been in fundraising in a primary way before, But I came to believe, and I believe it more firmly today, a dozen years later, that fundraising in the world that we're talking about here is actually about education. It's about helping people to see something that you can see and getting them to want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. In many respects, it's no different than encouraging a family to send their kid to your camp. Or encouraging a young person to spend a year in Israel after high school or getting a community to be engaged with a partnership city in Israel and invest the time and energy and effort it will take to do that successfully. And so as a result of that transition, I spent 10 years working with major philanthropy, some of the biggest names, the brand names in the Jewish foundation world, and the many more that are largely unknown and anonymous in the world, but are far from unknown and anonymous in their own circles and have discovered that there is virtually an unlimited amount of capital to be invested in doing good as it relates to the Jewish world. And so it is a re-envisioning of JCC Association's role to not simply be coordinating and orchestrating and guiding efforts taking place in the field, but to fuel the evolution of the field through innovation and research and development. And I've spent much of these first 13 months In consultation with probably at this point, three or four dozen major foundations, telling them what I shared with you earlier about the size and scope of our platform and asking whether they could see themselves becoming our partners in innovating. And not a single one has told me that they're not interested in doing precisely that. So as JCC Association evolves to a point where we can be that intermediary between investors and the platform on which those investments can make a real difference, I think we're going to be an engine for enormous growth and development. And I think that we can be the kind of engine that leaves plenty of room for being comfortable with an absence of success as we look for those handful of things that are going to be difference makers in the future to Jewish life.
1: You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before returning to my conversation with Daronne, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. Edith Klein is the executive director of Keshet, who discusses with me how she built the organization from the ground up and how our Jewish institutions have evolved over time in their culture, programming, and outlook, and how they adapt to the changing gender identity environment. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation.
0: Very frequently, there is a concerned agitated member or leader whether they be a staff
1: member or the parent of a kid who becomes
0: aware that things are not as they should be so very often it is the kind of activist leader who comes to us and says this is unacceptable i want your support to make a change That's one way that engagements happen. And I would say that was most common in our early years. Nowadays, it's probably about 50-50, a concerned person responds to some kind of catalyzing incident, and 50% just a general sense in the leadership of an institution that, you know, just like if it's an institution that works with kids, that they need to be CPR certified, so too they need to have cultural competency around LGBTQ issues.
1: Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Adit in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Jerome. You talk about doing work that quote unquote makes a difference. I sometimes struggle as a Jewish professional with being self-serving, right? Being an organization that just serves Jews. And you talk about this you know, half a million people that walk through your door who aren't Jewish and the fact that your institutions are able to provide a positive experience, not only just for the million Jews that walk through your doors and that programming, but for the half a million who just find it a safe, comfortable, clean, inviting, you know, place to, whether they call it home or a gym, like, you know, it's a place that they feel comfortable belonging to, even if it's not their own religious faith. And so I hope that also provides some purpose and meaning both to the Jewish community and to the broader local communities that these institutions exist in.
0: I think it certainly does. I also think that as long as we remain mindful of the fact that our function is a uniquely Jewish function, and notwithstanding the fact that we welcome warmly those folks from beyond the Jewish community who want to take part in it or benefit from it or participate in it, but that they know when they walk through the doors, they're walking into the Jewish town square. We can proudly be very expansive in terms of the audience that we hope to touch. And in many ways, the impression of the Jewish community that will be had in the wider community, the wider non-sectarian community will be defined by their interactions with us. You know, I had a unique experience early in my Ben-Gurion tenure, When we took an academic tour, we took funders from the states together with university academics to Jamaica. The focus of the tour was the post-Spanish and Portuguese Inquisition dispersion of European Jews through the Spanish West Indies. And at one time, yeah, it was fascinating. People think, well, you're going to Jamaica, it's got to be, you know, beach and piña coladas. At one time, the Jewish community of Jamaica was the largest Jewish community in the hemisphere. In fact, early on, they sent tzedakah, they sent charity to the Spanish-Portuguese congregation in New York, Mm, which were their poor cousins way back when. Now, there's not much of a Jewish community in Jamaica these days. I think it's about 100 people formally. But the most prestigious private school on the island is the Jewish Day School in Kingston. And though while we were there, there were only three or four Jewish students in a sea of Jamaicans, the school was fundamentally Jewish, Jewish holidays, blue and white colors, strong Israel curriculum. And it was unabashed in its conviction that this is who we are, and this is what we're promoting, and they're incredibly popular and successful. So even in an extreme scenario, a Jewish center can provide a beautiful depiction and reflection of Jewish life to whomever comes in contact with it. And so I think that we will welcome, as time goes by, more and more of our friends and neighbors from outside the Jewish community through our doors to have an enhanced sense of what the Jewish community brings to the communities in which these centers operate.
1: That's actually often how I see myself when I wear my Jewish star. There's a lot of times in my life that I've met somebody who's never met somebody who's Jewish. And even if it's checking out in the grocery line, right, they see, oh, this person is Jewish. And I know that my actions will not just color how that person sees me, but how that person, you know, has a view of every Jewish person in the world, which, you know, for better or worse is a unique responsibility we carry. And and obviously your institutions carry as well.
0: Um, We carry it proudly.
1: Yeah, which is fantastic. So my next question is kind of about the pluralistic nature of your organizations and your kind of camping system. So it seems to me that it's obviously much more culturally Jewish in focus and leaves out for the most part, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, the worship aspect of Judaism, kind of leaving that to the various sects or however somebody you know wants to identify how do you work with that, right? How, like, especially with your camps where they're there during Shabbos and they're doing, you know, much more worship than maybe is happening at the JCCs? Is that something that your institutions struggle with? Is it really easy? Answer of how to kind of work within that space of being pluralistic?
0: Well, I think, like everything else, it's nuanced. And one thing that I think it's important to understand is that JCC Association doesn't run all of these institutions or own or control them. Every JCC and independent agency with which we are affiliated are independent 501c3s, right? So they have their own boards, they set their own policies, they are not bound in the main by a lot of obligatory guidelines. But we work philosophically in a consistent way. So I want to distinguish between two things that you asked about. First of all, we have 29 resident summer camps, making us far and away the largest resident camping system in the Jewish community here in North America. It's about the size of the URJ and Ramah combined in terms of the number of campers and staff that we deal with. Most of them operate, I think, in a non-denominational way, but with some basic spiritual and traditional observance. So for example, the largest camp in our system, the New Jersey Y camps, are having morning services every day, are saying the brachot at meals, are certainly recognizing and celebrating Shabbat. This was not terribly dissimilar from the years that I ran the Young Judea movement and had been in the camps quite a bit. I was a Young Judea camp director. I would have described our work then in Young Judea as taking sort of a liberal conservative stance, but with enough respect for tradition so that somebody who was coming from a more conservative or modern Orthodox background would be able to find a comfortable place in our camp. And I think that each of our camps contend with the issue about how to be both accessible and accommodating, and about how to have a center of gravity that's consistent with their basic values of what a Jewish place does. They don't feel that the spiritual element is the primary driver or even a primary driver, but it is an important contextual part. And so they wrestle with it in the same way that they wrestle with what part does Israel play? What part does activism play? I think we look at these various component parts, and each of the camps evolve a tradition that's consistent with the vision of its leadership, the appetite of its marketplace, and its success at imparting to kids something that matters. So there isn't a single formula, but yes, it's something that I think we contend with on an evolving basis. The JCCs on a local level have a more interesting dynamic, I think, because they're living next door in most cases to however many synagogues may occupy that community. I don't mean next door literally, though in some cases that's also true. But in town, you know, I was in St. Louis last week. There are 18 synagogues there in the orbit of the JCC's two major campuses. And the dynamic between the JCC executive and some of the leading rabbis of the community is one in which there is concern about territory. There's concern about space. There's concern about issues that are important to the businesses of each party and trying not to step on the toes of one another. And I think for the most part, the JCCs have been very deferential where those issues have been concerned for many years. However, We're living in an age where fewer and fewer younger members of our community will ever walk through the doors of a synagogue. And I heard one very prominent Jewish leader say not long ago that the act of walking through the door of a JCC may be the single most Jewish thing a growing number of members of our community are doing. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, what responsibility do Jewish community centers bear for attending to the spiritual needs of people like that? If they're never going to go to a synagogue, And the synagogue, therefore, can't accommodate their spiritual needs. Does the community have some responsibility for finding a way, in partnership with rabbis, to ensure that the Jewish town square at least offers some opportunity for them to scratch some kind of a spiritual itch? And then maybe the town square is a gateway to actually becoming involved in the denominational world or to become increasingly connected with synagogues. But we can't simply circle the wagons around our spiritual homes and hope that it will be sufficient to keep those that we have. There are too many that are outside who need to be engaged and need to be drawn in. And if they're coming to JCCs, then what a great resource the centers could be for finding a touch point that would create some kind of an opportunity like that.
1: Well, so what's the response?
0: It's evolving and it's taking place at a grassroots level. I think within the JCCs, There is a readiness to try to be constructive and useful in a lot of places where this is concerned. Some of the JCCs are already tapping the resource that is local rabbis to teach a class, to do a holiday celebration, to do some sort of group gatherings, a group Shabbat you know not every rabbi is a pulpit rabbi so there are rabbis who are in a position to work in JCCs and we have probably uh, a couple of dozen that have full time position in JCCs across the country mm-hmm. i actually think it's more important for rabbis in local communities to be engaged as engagement partners with their JCCs and to bring innovative ideas for how they can be part of a JCC community as a gateway to touching some portion of these million Jews that are passing through our doors. Because if you meet a rabbi and are engaged and moved or motivated by her or by him in the context of a JCC, you may want to follow up with that contact in that rabbi's synagogue. And we can create far greater flow through. And so I guess this is my way of saying that the era of territoriality has reached a point where if we're not careful, it becomes destructive and not complementary.
1: Hearing you talk about this, I just get angry <laughs> and not to, you know, put too much of my own perspective on this situation, but as somebody who moved to a new area and luckily is about to welcome our first child, you know, we're going to the JCC and we've walked through many synagogue doors and we've not felt welcome and we've not felt like there was a community there for us. So for somebody to say <laughs> they rather go to you than to us and you have a responsibility to help them come to us. Like if your institution, if your synagogue was a welcoming, warm, inviting place, and there was this need that somebody felt like, "I, I definitely feel a spiritual void not being a member of a synagogue and not going to services regularly. But the institutions that I've walked into, I didn't feel served that need. So to me, I'm like, well, if your view is that well, you're being successful, and we're not successful, therefore, you have the responsibility to provide something that your members are not telling you that they need or want. Because we think they need or want this spirituality that we're offering, but when they walk in our doors, they don't want to stay. So again, I'm sorry for putting <laughs> so much of my own opinion, but it's not even the territorial. It's instead of focusing on why they're not walking into your institution and what it is about the way that you provide spirituality that they're not attracted to, because there's plenty of synagogues that are doing great, that are, yes, are that are providing spiritual fulfillment to their community. And people want to be a part of both you know, the synagogue and their JCC. And so I'll give you the pass that, no, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I mean, and yes, I think the partnership of bringing the rabbis in, letting them get to know your members, you know, being there for them, it kind of reminds me of the like rent a rabbi situations for B'nai Mitzvahs. It's, yeah, so then if somebody passes away and they want to reach out to a rabbi to help with the spiritual needs of that, or they have a child and they want to do a bris, you know, it's very interesting for me to hear that a perspective of somebody in a community is saying it's your responsibility as a successful institution to support us as a not so successful institution.
0: I'm not quite sure I would characterize it exactly that way, but I actually am very happy to have the chance to to dig into the conversation with you. And I appreciate your strong feelings. I actually think I share those feelings. I think the end game for North American Jewish life is more, right? More engagement, more involvement, and more success. And in a perfect world, we have lots and lots and lots of ways to be successful. And I think if we look back a generation or so, when I was growing up, If you were a connected Jewish family, you were probably involved in five or six different things that were your your institutional touch points for Jewish life. You were a member of a synagogue. Your mom was a member of Hadassah. Your dad was a member of B'nai B'rith. You belonged to the JCC. You went to your youth movement summer camp. You were a contributor to federation. In other words, these were the things that engaged members of the Jewish community might have included in the portfolio of engagement. And over the course of the last 25 years or so, in most of those prior places, the level of connectivity has diminished. Fewer people Mm -hmm. involved in each of them in almost every instance. And the JCC has more or less held its own, again, because of what we were talking about earlier. It's a low barrier to entry. There's not a lot of expectations on the part of the people who walk through the doors. It's an easy touch point and therefore a positive one. In a lot of ways it has the same benefit as summer camp has. It's voluntary, it's repeating, it's environmental, it's social. And so therefore, those are assets that we have at our disposal to see how we can deploy them in a way that maximizes not just our success as a JCC, but the success of the Jewish community. I don't want to be misinterpreted as being a critic of the other Touch points of Jewish life. And yeah, I'm a member of a synagogue in Teaneck. The rabbi there is an old friend of mine. I'll be happy to talk to you about you and your growing family.
1: (laughs) What's the name of the synagogue?
0: It's Congregation Beth Shalom. It's a conservative synagogue. Joel Podkowski, the rabbi, is an old, young Judean and a wonderful guy. And there's a lot of young families there. But this is not a pitch for my synagogue. I I always
1: love people giving their shout outs because it's worth it, you know, to recognize great institutions.
0: I'm happy to have done that. But what I would say is, if the goal is to strengthen participation and engagement, we should think about how we can work collaboratively to do that. Right. It's not yours, ours, or theirs. It's a question of, here's the state of reality. Here are the assets at our disposal. How can we think and work collaboratively to maximize our success? You know, We live in an ethnic and a communal context that may be the most expansive architecture in diaspora Jewish history the number of organizations and institutions that have been created to engage and sustain us. At periods of time where there were more and more of us and we were more traditionally engaged, we kept building and expanding and evolving. And we've reached a place where I don't know if it's a tipping point, certainly in the current context where we have less need for all this architecture that we built in the traditional way. And so now everybody wants to try to secure their own future, No. Institution or organization wants to not be the best version of itself. And so it's a little bit more competitive. It's much more territoriality minded. And therefore, with fewer and fewer members of the audience in reach, we are fighting over the Jewish community instead of fighting to support it. So, what I was describing is an avenue in which we link elbows with the spiritual community and say, how can we do better by working together? as opposed to how does one or the other supplant somebody else in the doing of what needs to be done. Right. And I think it's going to require a heightened consciousness on the part of a lot of players in the community to say, I'm willing to take the risk of being a partner if it means that we can better serve together the members of our community, particularly at a time where traditional Jewish families are less and less common. And therefore, we're going to have to be more expansive." If we're going to take them into our warm embrace and serve and fulfill their engagement with the Jewish community in a way that will be durable for them, for their children, and that they will pass it forward. I think that's the great challenge. And again, I come back to why I think coming to JCC Association now was for me such a compelling opportunity, because I think this platform has unique advantages in being an asset to that kind of collaboration in ways that it probably didn't in prior generations. It served a complementary role there aren't nearly as many healthy complementary parts to work with now. Mm -hmm. So let's take this one, which has the million and a half people and exploit it for all its potential in strengthening Jewish life.
1: Well, that's a very wonderful, positive message. I love it. So in that same vein, you know, you've been in this position for a little over a year. You've, hopefully by now learn the culture, you understand your structure and your politics, and it seems like you've traveled to many different institutions. What's the future hold? What's the next, you know, year, two years, five years? What are you hoping to see happen in the future of not only JCCA, you know, obviously your partner institutions that you only have so much control over, but really for your institution as a supporting agency?
0: So I would say the following things. When I was first invited to be part of the search for this position, my initial reaction was, I'm not the least bit interested because I'm not a JCC guy. There are people who come from the field, and I think JCC Association is traditionally drawn upon the best talent from within the field. And said, so I've always been a member of a JCC, and my kids went to the preschool and the day camp, and I go up there to shoot baskets and you know use the gym from time to time. I didn't consider myself of that world, having discovered the strength breadth and scope of the field i was enthusiastic about having been invited to be a candidate and i began the conversation i also discovered that jccs the members of our movement employ more than 6000 skilled full-time professionals and 32000 part-time and seasonal staff making us the largest professional force on the jewish landscape and what a remarkable cadre of talented and devoted people to draw upon for the work that lies ahead. So this first year was spent immersing myself in JCC Association, who it is, what it is, what it does, why it does things the way that it does, trying to spend as much time in the field as I could so that I could understand JCCs and their challenges and dynamics in large and small cities in various places across the continent, spending time checking in with the Jewish organizational world to find out where the center movement is viewed and how JCC Association is seen. And I think, as I said earlier, reaching out to a large number of major funders and foundations to see what their level of interest might be with regard to being part of what we're doing. And for a year, I was determined not to make change because I wanted only to begin to make change on the basis of being informed and a little bit more literate. And though I remain on the learning curve, and I would probably argue still at the steeper end because a year's a long time, but it's actually not not a very long time at all, given the breadth and scope of what we're trying to do, I'm in a place now to begin to make some informed judgments. So what we will be seeing in the next few months and in the coming year will be some very important professional additions to the JCC Association team, key skill sets allies and partners that I think we need to strengthen the foundation of our work. I think we'll be seeing the narrowing and deepening of the scope of what JCC's focus is going to be, JCC Association's focus is going to be, so that what we do, we do with excellence, and we do in a way that exceeds the expectations of those who come in contact with us at the expense potentially of doing many, many, many things, but not being able to invest in them in the way that we want. I think you will see us increasingly harnessing the best mind's in the field, both those from the center movement and those from outside the center movement who recognize the significance of the platform, to begin working on a strategic planning process, not in the way that most people think that it's going to be. We will not be doing strategic planning on JCC association, but we will embark on strategic planning for the JCC movement, mm. a collaborative plan on the future of North American Jewish life, the upshot of which should give us a vision for a generation about where we are going as a movement with measurable progress points along the way. And it will provide a tremendous inventory of investment opportunities for the funders Mm -hmm. of North American Jewish life. And the outcome of this plan will make a very clear uh, indication of what kind of JCC association will be necessary to facilitate progress in the direction of this vision. I think all of that together comfortably allows us to refer to ourselves as a movement of North American Jewish life, which understands the place from which it's beginning to the goals to which it is aspiring.
1: That's very exciting. That's wonderful. Well, you mentioned all these Jewish professionals and notice on your website that that being kind of a pillar and a focus of your work as well. So one thing that I like to ask on this program is advice that you have for Jewish professionals in the field, for people who are listening to this program and all of those wonderful Jewish professionals that work in JCCs or summer camps or not. What's some advice that through all your years of experience or particularly in this position that you would give those people?
0: That's a fantastic question. I would say the following things. Number one, I would advise all of my colleagues in the field of Jewish communal life to take a breath and recognize how fortunate and privileged we are to be able to make a living doing good for the Jewish community and the Jewish world. I would advise these folks to avoid making the mistake of martyring them on the altar of their work but rather to be mindful of the role that they play within the broader context of the organizations in which they operate. I would urge them to see themselves as part of a much larger field of Jewish communal life, and that the more contact and engagement they can have with peers and colleagues across institutions in the communities that they operate, and between the communities in which they function, the more likely we are to feel part of something much bigger. And that ultimately is the most significant factor of working in the Jewish communal space. We are part of the legions of people responsible for Jewish life in our communities. And the more allies, the more mentors, the more partners that we have, the more likely we are to be successful, but to also recognize, to be cognizant of the fact that we're part of something bigger.
1: So, my last question for you, you've alluded to having a family, to occasionally working out to you know your office in New York living in New Jersey. Are there tools or things that you implement that help you you know keep it all together, especially now, you know, I don't know how much traveling you had to do for your previous job, but clearly there's a lot of travel involved. So what are some techniques or things that you do to try and keep everything balanced and not be a martyr and, and keep yourself happy and your family happy and all that good stuff?
0: I'm so glad that you asked that question. So I'll take the liberty of telling you that my wife and I have three sons who are now 23, almost 21 and 16. But I have lived my professional career in national organizational roles through, you know, from the time that my oldest son, Yoni, was born. And every national role requires an enormous amount of travel. I've always seen the trade-off For national Jewish communal professionals is that we don't rest our head in our own beds nearly as often as we would like. But when we're home, Mm -hmm. nights and weekends are our own, and we tend to be anonymous members of the communities in which we live. The local Jewish communal professional is home a lot, but their nights and weekends are not their own, and they tend to be public figures in their communities, which complicates going to the grocery store Mm -hmm. or stepping out of your house to pick up the newspaper. And so that trade-off was always something about which I needed to be cognizant of. As a young professional, I worked too hard and put myself in a position of sort of martyring myself on the cause of the movement and placed my family life in jeopardy for a time because I was not as thoughtful and careful about it as I should have been. But that was a wake-up call for me. And so I believe that the important thing to be doing is to ensuring that quality time and energy is devoted the most important thing in our lives, which is our children and our family, and knowing how to make sure that we leave that kind of quality time for that purpose is central to our success because the stress and strain that comes from overwork and underattention to our personal life undermines our ability to be great professionals. So, for me, you know, I told you I had three sons, I was a little league coach. And it was sacrosanct for me. For 13 years, I coached one, two, or three teams, depending on the years. And my employers and prospective employers knew that when I was in town on Little League days, I was out of the office at 4 o'clock. I was going to be where I needed to be. And that was a condition mm-hmm. of my willingness to serve the roles that I would serve. And not that I would necessarily recommend Little League as the way to find <laughs> a quality family for everybody. For me, that was a critical thing. And you know, my wife and I have been reflecting recently as we now have two kids who have gone on to life on their own. Our oldest graduated from university is going to be working in the city and consulting. Our middle son made Aliyah on Monday. So that's uh, fresh for us and he's going into the army in the fall. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we're very proud and we're wrestling with missing him. Uh, Now it's a little raw still these first days, but we have reflected on the fact that our family is incredibly close and incredibly supportive of one another. And we feel either purposefully or incidentally, we ensured that we had a formula that worked for making family the consummate priority in our lives. And as a result of that, we were also able to be really good professionally what we did. My wife works in the corporate side and you know the work that I'm doing. If we don't oblige ourselves to look out for those things, then I think fundamentally we will never be the professionals that we aspire to be. Too much stress and strain and too exclusive. You can't just be successful professionally and allow those other elements of your life to be sacrificed on the altar of doing good. That's really what I meant by the martyrdom complex. Most of us are not in the life-saving business,
1: right? Right. So
0: we should be mindful of the fact that that extra hour or that extra night or that extra weekend in the long haul pales in comparison to ensuring that we have a fulfilled and happy and supportive family life as well. Yeah.
1: There's always going to be more work to be done. It just doesn't have to be done right now. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we've touched upon a lot of different areas from you know your organization and your personal journey and the culture of specific JCCs and camping that you guys work with. Anything else that we've kind of left on the table or comments you want to make with what we've talked about?
0: Well, first of all, again, I'm very grateful to you for this opportunity. I will say we didn't talk about Israel, at least not uh, more than tangentially. So I wouldn't feel like I had done justice to reflecting on my work and my priorities without at least saying that, you know, I believe that we live in the best moment in 2000 years of Jewish history, because primarily we were born into not only the most extraordinary diaspora Jewish community, I think of these millennia, but we were born into a time that there is a sovereign state of Israel and the Jewish people for the first time since the fall of the second temple bears responsibility for itself. Mm -hmm. uh, And is not dependent on the largesse or graciousness of host regimes that have tolerated us living in their midst. And that's something that A hundred generations of our forebears would have given their left arm to have had a taste of. As a result of that, we have all the more responsibility not to squander this moment in Jewish history, but to capitalize on it. And I think the way we do that is ensuring that while what happens in Jewish life here in North America is important, we also recognize that what's happening in the Jewish state is similarly important to our future as Jews, and we need to be active stakeholders. In what's happening in the Jewish state, by being part of the conversation, by visiting, by engaging, by getting to know Israelis, by not getting frustrated and throwing up our hands when we don't like something that we heard or something that a government does, or the Kotel decision, or what have you, there are always going to be things that cause our backs to get up. But if we use those as excuses to step away, we do so at our own peril. Israel is a dynamic, evolving enterprise. What it's going to look like in a hundred years, nobody knows. The same way the United States of America at 70 would be unrecognizable to most Americans looking at it here in right. 2018. So I think that we are careless a little bit with the way in which we embrace Israel as a part of ourselves. I think we need to be full-hearted and full-throated in saying that what happens in Israel may be more important to the future of my grandchildren's Jewish world than what happens here. And therefore, I'm going to play a part. I'm going to be involved. My voice is going to be heard. And And I'm going to be sufficiently familiar with the breadth of what goes on in Israel that I can take huge pride in the overwhelming number of aspects of Israeli life and society, even as a handful of them make me crazy and cause my blood to boil. I think the center movement has a unique role to play in strengthening American Jewish ties with Israel. It's going to be a major priority for my tenure as president and CEO, and I thought it was worth making the point of sharing that with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. It's definitely not an easy topic in American Jewish life at the moment. So I appreciate you sharing your thoughts as it pertains to your institution and your personal views in life. It's fantastic. Wonderful. Daron, thank you so much for joining us on the program and sharing all your insights and experience. I really appreciate it.
0: It's my pleasure, Michelle. Thank you for having me. And as an aside, Bishat I wish you a great arrival and uh, start to the next chapter in your family's evolution. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. As I mentioned in my conversation with Daron, I'm always jealous when a nonprofit organization can utilize a social entrepreneurship model to help fund their operations. The JCC movement has been able to thrive in part due to this revenue model. The other part is the pluralistic, cultural, accessible, and almost in a secular way that they do Judaism. They connect with their members and allow them to access Judaism in a way that makes sense for them in their lives, while at the same time fulfilling secular needs they might have working out, child or elderly care, family programs, activities, etc. What got me so fired up about our conversation in regards to the role between JCCs and synagogues is regarding the responsibility to provide or connect their members to spiritual services. Seems like I have an inversion to the if you build it, they will come model. They will come when you ask them what they want, and then you built it. Clearly, the JCC model is connecting with today's Jewish populations in a way that other institutions might not be anymore. The question for those in the field is why, and what about the JCC model works? What could you glean from their approach and bring some of that into your own organization? How can you meet your quote-unquote members where they're at? This program has been funded in part by the Jim Joseph Foundation, Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound, and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more on our website, it's whoyouknowthepodcast.com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful week.